0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel. Really, you can open to two places John chapter 20 and we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. John chapter 20 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we are at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ here in John 20. The empty tomb is proof of God's promises to be true to us. the empty tomb is God's assurance that Jesus' words are true. And the empty tomb is also a place of controversy controversy. So this section of John is, is like celebrating Easter and the resurrection of Jesus. Even though we're not in April, we're not in springtime, we're later on in the year, it's a celebration of the resurrection now if this, was a, if this was the time of Easter where it's celebrated around our country, no doubt there would be articles all throughout your Twitter feed and on Facebook and on Instagram, there would be articles trying to undermine the resurrection. Now back in the day when magazines were the thing, Time Magazine inevitably, every Easter season would have a front page article trying to disprove the resurrection. Why? Why so much controversy about an empty tomb? And why so much controversy about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you why. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. It was all a lie and a myth and a fable. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we'll learn in a moment, our faith is empty and we're preaching a lie. But the resurrection of Jesus is real and it is true. And Jesus is alive today, drawing you and me into relationship with him. He's alive. Not only is Jesus alive, but the Bible teaches us that the very power that that brought Jesus back from the dead is the very power that lives in us. We live in what's called the resurrected power of God in our lives. That's really good news, by the way, because you're not on your own following Jesus, this isn't something that you just kind of pick up and go, I'll give it my best try and I'll do what, what I can and, and try as much as I can to be the good man that I'm supposed to be, the good woman I'm supposed to be, the parent, that, you know, I'll try hard, I try hard. It, it isn't that at all. It's simply living out the life that God has already put inside of you. The power of God to be everything. That It's not a matter of what we do. It's a matter of who we are. But before we get into some of the texts that we're going to look at, I want to give you four things. I want to, if you're taking notes, jot these four things down. I want to equip you in case somebody comes along, especially around Easter, and starts to say, "Oh, you don't believe in the resurrection? That wasn't true. It was all of a all a lie." Let me give you a few things that have come up over the years to try to disprove the resurrection, and then I'll explain them to you. Number one, one of the things that said. That the res- to, to say that the resurrection isn't true is that the disciples stole the body. He didn't really rise from the dead because his followers went in and stole the body. They wanted to somehow create a religion on their own, and so they stole the body. Yeah, Jesus did die on a cross, but he didn't rise again because his followers stole the body. Now, remember this the tomb was guarded. Not by one, not by two, not by four, but by 16 Roman guards working in shifts, four at a time. 16 Roman guards. How did the disciples get past them? Well, some people say, well, they fell asleep and the disciples snuck up around them and went around them and they snuck into the tomb and they went away with the body. Well, number one, that doesn't make any sense because if the body was stolen, then the Guards would have to pay the price for that with their lives, number one. But number two, remember that the opening of the tomb, the opening of the tomb, which is sort of a small cave in a garden, the opening of the tomb was covered by a stone. They rolled a stone in front. Now, some estimate, I'm going to give you the middle line estimate, that that stone was probably two to three tons in weight. Let's just even say, let's not, let's, put three away in two and say it was just one ton. Can you imagine sneaking past the sleeping guards and moving, removing the seal of the Roman government on the tomb and gently and quietly moving a, two, a one ton stone? It's not possible and it's not true. Number two, the Jews stole the body. The Jews stole the body. The very ones that set up Jesus to be, and manipulated the Roman government, and set up Jesus to be crucified, they stole the body. That doesn't make any sense at all, because a few days later, when the disciples were excited, spreading the gospel, gathering together, and Christianity was spreading at any time, but especially in the beginning, at any time, if the Jews stole the body, then at any time they can just present the body and say, bunch of liars, we have the body here, we're the ones that took it, and that doesn't happen and it's never been recorded that it did happen. Number three, here's another one, and this is a funny one. In the appearances of Jesus, some skeptics and critics say, to explain away the resurrection, they say that all the appearances were just hallucinations, as if the disciples lived in Colorado smoking pot all day. Hallucinating. Okay, let's consider that from the Bible, from the text, you ready? Mary Magdalene, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, John chapter 20. Then to Peter, Luke chapter 24. Then he appeared to the apostles without Thomas, John chapter 20. Then the apostles with Thomas, John chapter 20. He appeared to other women, Matthew chapter 28. He appeared to those two men on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Then it's recorded he appeared to seven of the disciples, John chapter 21 in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Jesus appeared to 500 people at the same time. 500 people at the same time. Think of this for a second. This room holds about 1,200 people. So if you split the room down and just this side, that means he appeared to all of you at the same time and all of you were hallucinating. All of you, every single one. There wasn't one that isn't like flipped out. At the same time, not only that, He appeared to James in 1 Corinthians 15 and then for 40 days he appeared to an unnamed innumerable amount of people for 40 days, Acts chapter 1. It's statistically impossible for every single person that claims to see the risen Christ to be hallucinating, especially 500 at the same time. Now here's the thing about 500. We've gone into this in depth with statistics in another Bible study, but just for us today, Consider this, the 500 people that is claimed in the text, claimed by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to have seen Jesus at the same time, when that was written, most, if not all of them, were still alive. They were still alive in the first century. We don't know how many lived through the first century, but they were still alive so that when the text was written and used as a testimony to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, any of those 500 could say, that's a lie. I was there that day. It didn't happen. And and we have no, no text whatsoever, no testimony whatsoever that any of these people recanted their testimony. But consider this. So many people in the first century died a martyr's death because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Their belief in his life, death, and resurrection. Now, consider this for us. I haven't sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. I haven't sacrificed everything. And I would say that most, if not all, listening to me right now cannot say that you've sacrificed everything for your faith and belief in Jesus Christ. But many in the first century and many today have sacrificed everything including their life to follow. To follow Jesus in the first century, you would lose your family, you would lose your career, you would lose your house, you would lose your community, you would lose your reputation. You you would completely be excluded from daily life by simply declaring, I believe Jesus is Messiah, the Messiah promised in the, in the Torah, in the law and the prophets. By simply saying that, you lose everything. And many of, including the 12 apostles, so take a, think of the 12 apostles minus Judas, add Paul. All but one of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death for their belief That's it, that's all they died for, just a belief. Just the the statement, I believe Jesus Christ, I believe in Yeshua as my savior, as the promised Messiah. Just by saying those words, 11 of the 12 died. James was sawed in two. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. Now, the one that wasn't martyred was, was John. They tried to martyr him by putting him in a cauldron of boiling oil, and he miraculously survived. What was the penalty for him? Well, they couldn't kill him in oil, so what did they do? They banished him to isolation on an island called Patmos, where he received that revelation of Jesus Christ that he wrote down for us, that we study even to this day. They gave up their life. I was reading recently in the Twitter feed uh, of this. Let me... I think I, I took a screenshot of it for you guys, but I messed up on previous services I did so this was just a, a, an, a an interview that was being done, and it 's a picture of a man after his conversion uh, with a disfigured face that 's what caught my eye in the picture and i, I didn 't click on the article, but I have it here it says Uh, the next horrific chapter of Umar Mulunde's life, he survived 12 assassination attempts, and this is the disfigurement of his face, and an acid attack after his Christian conversion. I mean, that's happening now. And all that would be necessary, all that would be necessary at the point of death, so many people were put to the martyr's death, and to get out of it, all they had to say was, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, that's it. That would save their life. I don't believe in Jesus, it's all a lie. And while I'm sure many did that, so many more died for their faith. So many more even today, so many more even today are suffering atrocious persecution around the world because of their faith, just because of their belief. You know, when Rome was still in charge, all the subjects of Rome were required to bring, a, bring some incense, a pinch of incense, and throw it upon the bust of Caesar and declare Caesar to be God. That's it. That's all they needed to do. Just yes, I believe Caesar is my God, little g. But believers refused to do that. They would not bow their knee to Caesar. And all they had to do, I mean, even if they wanted to do it as uh, lying, you know, just to lie their way, There was such integrity in the early church that they weren't even willing to lie it or fake it. They said, no way, kill me. I believe in Jesus and I will not deny his name. And that's the work that God wants to do in your life and mine. These appearances were not hallucinations. These were real appearances from Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, to the ones that loved him and gave their lives, so many of them, for him. Let me give you another one. Oh, by the way, if you're looking for, if you want to have your faith stirred, um, I I would encourage you, you, if you're a social media guy or gal, if you're on social media, Twitter or Facebook, search for Voice of the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, and they'll send you daily updates of people to pray for and persecution that's going on around the world, Voice of the Martyrs. There's also a great book, and I think if you search it, you can find a free version of PDF online. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it basically chronicles the first century of those who die for their faith. And that's where we get a lot of insight of where the, how the apostles were martyred for their faith. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And then a few years ago, uh, the music group DC Talk, they put out a series of books, at least one or two of them, called Jesus Freaks. And those are more modern-day stories of martyrdom around the world. I mean, it's happening right now. While we are worshiping in the freedom of our country, there are many people that are laying down their lives for Jesus Christ right now. It's one of the things that stirs missions and a heart for missions to know that people are laying their lives down for Jesus, for their belief, for their belief. Here's another one, number four. Number four. Uh, how people try to skeptically undermine the resurrection some say that the resurrection when they came to the empty tomb some say that they went to the wrong tomb the wrong tomb go to John 20 real quick because I want you to see this and then we'll be back in first Corinthians 15 but it was this is what they say it's early in the morning they're tired they're teary-eyed and they just missed it they went to the wrong tomb well we know that Peter and John would know which tomb they were at. Remember Peter and John, they ran and and they even raced to the tomb. They raced to the same tomb. We know that because we know the winner of the race. Who was the winner of the race? John, the one that Jesus loved. They raced. When they took off on a race, John didn't go this way and Peter didn't go this way. They went to the same place. So they would know And now, notice, there's an interesting thing in John 20 that I don't want you to miss. We're going to read it a little bit later, but let's look at it now. Look at John 20 in verse 12. John 20, verse 12. And Mary standing by the tomb, weeping, it's empty. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So, so... In order for this theory and this skeptical theory to be true, then the angels have to be at the wrong tomb too. Did the angels show up at the wrong tomb? Yes or no? No, You you want to know why? Because angels perfectly obey the Father. And they showed up to the right tomb because they knew that that's where the disciples would come from. These are, and there's so many more, but these are so often used to try to undermine faith and so-called experts, and, and the so-called people that know more than even God does, according to the word, which isn't true. The essential message of the gospel is that we serve a resurrected Jesus Christ, a Savior that's alive, that God is the God of the living and not of the dead, that the promises of Jesus are true, and he proved them. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to 1 Corinthians now, verse chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel message hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's essential proving that Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, uncreated, eternal. Pick up with me in verse 12, would you? Because this issue was happening in the early church. False teachings were already coming in the early church, and one of the false teaching was there's no resurrection at all. And so verse 12, now if Christ is preached, that he's been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also vain or empty. If you you like to write in your Bibles, vain simply means empty. Your faith is empty. Yes, verse 15, and we're found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or empty, and you're still in your sins. And then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. So Paul, he deals with this false teaching right away and super clear. I mean, even as we do, you know, this false teaching flows through the church. And I've been serving here long enough where I've seen all kinds of weird false teachings flow through this church and coming in. And false teachings are not accepted here. You know, wolves, whether you're in sheep's clothing or not, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome to take advantage of this church. You're not welcome to teach your own little doctrines taking people off. You're not welcome here. The only way you're welcome here if you're a wolf is if you're willing to repent of your sins and become a sheep. That's it. We protect the flock here. and We take it very seriously. Like Paul, he gets wind of, hey, they're telling you there's no resurrection? What are they thinking? Of course there's a resurrection. And, and if there's no resurrection, just think about this, he says. Think about this. If there's no resurrection, then, then we're in trouble. Like, take that doctrine to the end. He says nine things. He says nine things that if there isn't a resurrection, that, that we're in trouble. Number one, he says if there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't risen. He says, number two, our preaching's empty. And your faith is empty, number three. And then we're found to be liars, number four. And then if there's no resurrection, then Jesus really isn't alive, verse 5, or number 5. And your faith is futile, number 6. And you're still stuck in the hopelessness of your own sins, unforgiven, number 7. Number 8, if there's no resurrection, then there's no hope of being reunited with those that died before us in all of eternity in Christ. And number 9, verse 19, we're the most pitiable people on the earth. We're worse than unbelievers if there's no resurrection, And you say, why? How can you be worse than an unbeliever? Well, you're lost and you're believing a lie. It's worse. You've made up something in your mind. Like if there's no resurrection, then you're the most pitiable because you're trying to live a life in your own strength, in your own energy, and and what you believe in isn't even true. And what does Paul say in verse 20? But now Christ is risen from the dead. Yes, he is. He's alive. And you go to Israel with us, of the tomb that they think is most probable, you will find out for yourself with your own eyes. It's empty. He's not there. Now, we haven't met any angels there yet, but that would be kind of cool. Hey, we're just checking it out. What are you doing here, Ed? Just checking out the tomb. Are you kidding? If I saw an angel, I'd freak out. It'd be amazing. It would be awesome. The resurrection is very important. Come back with me now in John chapter 20. As we just look at a few sections before we leave, a few scriptures, we're not gonna finish the chapter, but we're taking our time allowing the Holy Spirit to soak in the beautiful living hope that we have. You know, that's how Peter described it. Peter said that we have been begotten to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in First Peter chapter one, verse three and four. We have a living hope, a hope that has changed lives, a hope that continues to change lives. Because you know, even if we didn't have all the testimony of the people that saw the risen Jesus themselves, there's the testimony of the resurrection in this room right now. Of what God has done in your life through his life. How he's brought you out of death spiritually into life. But let's even just say that everyone here today does not have that testimony, and I'm preaching to a crowd that's all unbelievers and all skeptics and all critics. While I know that not to be true, I'm certain there are a few listening in. But let's just say, for the sake of illustration, nobody in here has that testimony. Let me tell you, I have that testimony. I am an eyewitness of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, myself, my, I, and you know how I you know how I know that? I was there when I got saved. And I was there when the gospel was preached and God broke in on a young man who was so rebellious and so resistant and so unloving, uncaring, and on and on that list could go. I was there. When that young man responded to the gospel, and I was, I was actually there the day before he got saved, and I was there the day after he got saved, and for 26 years now, I've watched the resurrection power in this young man grow him and mature him and change him and sustain him through the ups and downs. I saw his marriage saved. I, I saw children added to that marriage. I, I saw, you know, what, what in that, that young man... I'm kind of speaking in the third person, but that's my story. This is me. That young man, they didn't think his marriage would last 28 minutes, is going on 28 years now. Why? Because of the power of God. Power of God. It's amazing. So even if we had no other testimony, you got my testimony of the power of the resurrection. But we know we have yours as well. Here we have Mary. I, I like this. Let's pick up where we left off in chapter 20, verse 10. It says, the disciples went away again to their own homes because they're discouraged, they don't understand, they remember what Jesus said, but they don't quite get it, and they went home. They went home. But verse 11, but Mary, she stuck around. It says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word weeping or wept. Either one. And right next to it, wailing. Wailing. These aren't just a few tears coming down her cheeks. She is overcome with sorrow and grief. And she's overcome by confusion. And now what little left that she had, the body, is gone. And she's dealing with it. And she saw, it says, as she looked in, two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. Now, verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me. Tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, oh, Rabone, which means teacher, and Jesus began a conversation with her that we're going to get into next time. This is a tender moment. It's a tender moment where, as the disciples are going home, Mary just can't go home. She's left alone pondering all these things. She's weeping, she's crying, she's confused, she's sad, she's wailing, there's... there's deep sorrow and concern and questioning, and where is she? She's lingering in the garden, hanging out around the tomb in love, wanting to express her love through the point of contact of his body. And she's crying. She's expressing emotion. And Jesus shows up to her at just the right time. She didn't have the same response to the angels. The angels basically ask her the same question, and she gives an explanation to the angels. And we don't know why it doesn't say that she freaked out when seeing the angels, but she's just having a conversation expressing herself. And because we've grown up in a culture that that minimizes emotion, that minimizes even, even a church culture where sometimes emotion is pressed down. No, you can't be emotional. Listen, everything about us is emotional. Everything about our relationship with God. Now, we all express our emotions differently but it's not God's will for you to press down your emotions, but rather to express them, to express them in relationship. In this case, when you're sad, you're sad. When you're grieving, you're grieving. When you need to cry, cry. That's how God made you. Because if you don't, and you keep pressing it down, and you keep pressing it down, it's gonna come out, it's, it's gonna eat you up inside, and it's gonna come out of a way that could be very destructive and hurtful. And so here she is, a very normal woman, expressing her emotions, expressing her love for, for Jesus. And the angels ask her a question, but it wasn't until this appearance of Jesus it comes. And he asks her a question, she doesn't know who he is. And, and maybe because tears in her eyes, maybe because she's out of it, she can't see clearly, we don't know, we don't know exactly. It could be Jesus, you know, making sure that he reveals himself at just the right time. But we do know, we do know that when he said her name, it clicked. When he said her name. This, is, this encourages me because Jesus, sometimes he shows up in the most surprising ways in our lives. The Bible says in Psalm 34 that Jesus, that the God is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the one that's contrite and humble. The one, we often lose the consciousness. The, now, God is with us all the time, but he's with us in a special way when brokenness comes and when difficulty comes. When things are going well, we lose the consciousness of God. And what I mean by that is we don't think of him being with us, and we don't cry out to him. We're not in a place of desperation. He's still with us. He isn't going to leave us and abandon us, but there's a lack of dependence. You know, when, when I can handle things on my own, then you know what I do? I handle things on my own. It's when I recognize that I'm unable to handle something that I cry out for help. It's when I recognize that I don't have the wisdom I'm looking for, and I ask God for wisdom. It's when, I, when I'm in a situation that's far beyond me, God is training me to come to him all the time. And here, Mary is overwhelmed, and Jesus, he draws near. And so as we leave here today, I... I want to be reminded, I want to remind us, I want to remind you guys on the radio listening in that God loves you and he's ready to come and draw near to you in whatever you're going through today. I even wrote in my notes that it's good to remind us all of his great love, great love. It's beyond our ability to comprehend the depths and the width and the height and the length of his love. It's one of the prayers in the Bible that we might understand the depth, the length, the width, the height of his love for us. It's good to be reminded how much he loves us. It's encouraging and comforting to know that Jesus knows all about our sadnesses, he knows all about our sorrows, he knows all about our fears, our anxious thoughts, he knows all about what is plaguing you today, even if it's just the simple cares and concerns of life. He knows, he knows what it's like to he comes to you in your loneliness and in your simple, broken heart over the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or a loss of a friendship, or I was reading today a friend of ours in California. There, a mom posted today on. On Instagram, it was a picture of her son who's getting married. And then in the the comments there, she was just expressing all the emotion that comes as her son's getting married. Yeah, that's a real, the Lord is with her. The Lord is near to her. And I know she feels the presence. Emotions come in a variety of different ways. Just like he knew Mary's heart was broken and crushed, he knows your heart. Just as Mary was confused and unsure, he knows you. And even to the proud, even to those listening in right now, go, well, you know what, I've got things together. Well, he knows you, and he'll even draw near to you now. You have to understand, pride is resisted by God, but he draws near to the broken heart and to the humble. But even in your pride, he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to look at you, oh, that prideful guy, I'm just going to abandon it. No, no, no. He loves you even with the pride that he will use a variety of circumstances to chisel away at the sharpness of your pride and mine. Why? So that we can be in a place, so that we can be in a place of relationship with him and truly feel his love and experience it, not just talk about it and tell other people about it. But just to know, you know, God loves the world. Yes, he does. But even to know better, God loves me. And he he cares for what's going on in my life. His plan is better than my plan. His thoughts are not my thoughts. He comes in tender love, revealing himself to her. Tender love. As you read ahead, you'll see this love developed in each of the appearances because he comes in these unique ways, how, how does he show up in our lives? Well, you know, God, God will often show up. Jesus will draw near in surprising ways. He might send a brother into your life, or a sister, that just out of the blue begins to encourage you. You know, the Lord put you on my heart. The Lord, we we we, we lose the significance of truths because they've come become cliche. So, oh, the Lord put you on my. Yes, the Lord God Almighty put you on my heart. Now, whenever, whenever I get a series of texts or I get a series of voicemail or email, the Lord put you on my heart. You know what my first thought is? What's happening? Why am I on so many people's hearts today? But I immediately dismiss that and I say, No, Lord, thank you. Somebody's praying for me today. You brought me to mind to someone today. It comes through a brother or a sister. Or, or you get that text and you go, What's this? What's this scripture? Where did this come from? Well, somebody was thinking of you and shared a scripture with you, or an email. You know, I'm on, a, I'm on an email list uh, with our radio station, Frank and I. Uh, Frank's the, the manager. He handles everything, and I help a little bit with stuff on the radio. And, and we're on this list where emails are sent out, and... And recently, we just changed things up with our radio broadcast. We, we hired a new producer uh, and, and he's been going through and re- redoing all, all, everything with our radio. And, and he sent out this email on the list and he said, I know there's a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of difficulty, a lot of things going on in your life. Uh, I just listened to this study by Pastor Ed. Uh, you guys should probably listen to it, it'll be good. And it's from Nehemiah, that's what's on the radio right now, Nehemiah. Well, Nehemiah was taught four years ago. I was taught right here four years ago. And and it's amazing, isn't it? God's word never returns void. Even something was taught four years ago. We're all listening to Pastor Chuck Smith's studies that he taught in the 80s. And he's even using 80s illustrations, you know, leg warmers and stuff. And like, whoa. But the word of God, the illustrations might be dated, but not God's word. God's word is always relevant and never returns void. So as I was listening, like I got that email being a part of the list. So I took it to heart. I felt like God was sending that to me. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go listen to that study. Now, I didn't listen to the radio edit. I actually went to our website, and I watched the video. I watched the video uh, that's archived. And I went through the worship time and and got to that time before the message sometimes where I'll have a word to share. Sometimes it's even a mini message that the Lord puts on my heart. And I had one that day. It happened to be that particular study happened to be the first day, the first weekend I came back after an extended leave of absence, after my son passed away, and I began to share. You know, I didn't know if I was coming back. I didn't know if I'd be back in the ministry, and I began to share some of those things, and then taught that Bible study. That Bible study was actually prepared to be delivered long before the crisis happened, because I'm usually a few weeks ahead and ready to deliver, so I was, it was actually ready to be delivered months earlier but then with all the trauma and crisis and everything, it got delivered just on that day at that time with a different person. I was a different man. I am a different man in the last four years since losing my son. I'm a different man, and, and God is using me in a different way now. And I was listening, in the Bible study was very encouraging. You know, I still listen. I listen to Grace FM. Do you guys listen to Grace FM? I listen to Grace FM. Sometimes I'll mention something in the staff meeting, and I'll say, "Do you guys hear this? And then somebody will say, no, I didn't hear, and I said, that's because you're not listening to Grace FM, man, that's why. What do you listen to Caleb for? No, I'm just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Listen to whatever you want. God will use a song to encourage you, and he'll use a Bible side. I was just in the Springs recently, and a sister came up, heard my voice, and introduced myself, yes, I'm Ed, are you Ed? Yes, I'm on, I've been listening to you, I've been very encouraged, but, but you know, I don't listen to talk radio very much, you know, but every time I turn Grace FM on, you're on, so I have to listen to you, and I say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My head, my voice is in your head. But the Lord used the messages in her life, too. But back to Nehemiah, as I was listening to that message or watching that message on my computer, I was just asking the Lord in my heart, you know, why, why Lord, are you using this particular Bible study? And, and God spoke to me that day, and he said, he said, well, Ed, I'm using studies like that in your life because when you're at your weakest, I'm strong. And I'm like, yeah, Lord, that's so true. And it reminded me, you know, God kind of speaks to me Uh, in, in regular everyday language. When God speaks to me, he doesn't speak in King James language. Ed Taylor, thou art. I mean, I guess he could, but he doesn't. We just have a conversation. I felt that impression of what he was sharing with me. And it reminded me of the scripture when Paul cried out for his thorn in his flesh, remember? And the answer was, no, I'm not gonna remove it. But I'll tell you this, Paul. It's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect, God said. And so I still listen to uh, our Bible studies, when I'm listening to Grace FM, if I come on, I don't just immediately turn it off. I listen, and I'll tell you why. Um, I listen because I want to receive something from the, from the Lord. And especially when I'm the one teaching, uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys all have that where you don't like to hear your voice, on, and I don't like to hear my voice either, but I'm not, I'm not listening for that. I want to hear from the Lord. And I'll tell you what, if I don't hear from the Lord in my own Bible study, something's desperately wrong with me and my relationship with the Lord. And so I listen to say, oh, yeah, Lord, that was a good word, and that was a good encouragement. Nehemiah is so strong and so great. And and so, you know, the Lord comes to you in in a word. He'll come to you through the radio. He'll come to you you through a friend. He'll come to you even today. In a Bible study like this, God will speak to your heart. He'll speak to a 1,000 people, something different and yet the same. He'll speak out through the technology where you've got it on your little phone here and you're watching the service with your phone in your hand and the Lord has a word for you to encourage you and to strengthen you. He's alive. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And he's still speaking through his word today. He's making it alive. He's making you alive. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. I know sometimes I wonder, why would he love me? with all the brokenness in my life and all the craziness and the stumbles and falls I mean, I was, just, I was just encouraged this week in my devos in Proverbs where the Bible says though a man fall seven times he'll rise again and I was reading in Jeremiah recently that's, that's the book I'm in uh, to go a little deeper in my devos in Jeremiah and in Jeremiah 1 it says the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time isn't that good? You mean, God, will speak to me twice? Yes. Will he speak to me three times? Yes. Is God the God of the second chances? Yes. How about the third chance? Yes. How about you you can't keep track of how many chances you need? Is God the God of that many chances? Yes or no? He is. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. I know we can't explain it. So often we're unlovable and so often we... You know, we even deal with, maybe you deal with not even loving yourself. But listen, God's love supersedes even what you feel about yourself. And he wants you to experience his love. Do you know him today? I mean, do you know God in a real personal way? Is he the savior of your life? Have you experienced his love? Have you had the guilt and the shame of life removed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God our Creator God sent His only begotten Son to demonstrate His love for us. If we ever had a question about the love of God, the demonstration of God's love is at the cross. And the proof of the cross is in the resurrection. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart? Have you ever asked Jesus to save you, to rescue you? He's alive. And the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says that. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's such a beautiful thing to think of that Jesus would be there inviting us to himself. But that's not just, that's not a statement. In the Bible, that statement is not to unbelievers. Jesus said that to a church. I stand at the door and knock. Imagine that, a group of people worshiping and lifting up their hands and singing songs and listening to Bible study, and Jesus is outside saying, can I come in? A lot of lives are like that. A lot of the outward, and Jesus is there saying, can I come in? Can can I save you? Will you accept my free gift? I'd encourage you to take God's offer of forgiveness today. I'd encourage you to repent, and turn away from your sinful past and the sins that you're into right now, and lay them at the feet of the cross, and receive the forgiveness of your sin. Amen. Lord, I, I ask that you would um, that you would move by your Holy Spirit in so many hearts today. That God, you would have your way among us. You're knocking. You're knocking at the door of our hearts wanting us to experience your forgiveness and love. And I thank you for the radio. I thank you for Bible studies. I thank you for email. I I thank you, God, for illustrations that stay with us forever that we might remember a spiritual truth. I thank you, God, for getting us up after seven times and eight times. I love that verse. I've been hanging on it all week. The word of the Lord came came to Jeremiah a second time. A second time, Lord. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't left us. You haven't forsaken us. You have a word for us another time. You have a word for us another time. Encourage your people, Lord. Encourage your kids. Encourage your kids here today. Encourage them in the difficulties that make them weep and cry all night. Encourage them in the fears that overwhelm them and steal their sleep away. Encourage them with the, the ruggedness of their marriage right now or the pain of a divorce. Encourage them as their kids are sideways and don't seem to love you like they did when they were younger. Encourage them in their medical conditions and their pains and aches and how discouraging it is to have our bodies break down the way they are. Encourage them in that horrible diagnosis that they heard the doctor say the word and they couldn't believe their ears and had to have it repeated. Lord, encourage them. Let your love shower upon them, Lord. Let them feel your presence, that there is life after death. There is, you, Jesus, you said in another place, you are the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in you will not die, but will live again. Why? Because you're the first fruits. We leave here encouraged by your life today. And if you're here today as the church is praying, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day. Invite him in. Accept his offer of forgiveness. Accept him. Follow him. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. It's not all about you. It's about him. And as you accept that something's been given, handed to you, take it. Take it. Follow Jesus today. He loves you. Send his son for you. And if that's you today, you'd say, Ed, I do. I need to follow Jesus in my life. Would you stand to your feet right now? We want to pray with you. Just make a public acknowledgement of your need to follow Jesus Christ. Wherever you might be in this room, just stand to your feet. Today's the day. Answer the knock at the door. Today is the day that all life changes. God bless you guys over here. Who else would say, that's me? Today is the day. God bless you. Right now this moment, today, today God wants you to experience his love. Today he wants you to turn to him. God bless you in the back. you responding on the radio, bless you. And I mean that. It's not a cliche. God's blessings upon you as you turn to him today. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that anyone that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. No way. You you say, Ed, you don't understand what I've been into and what I've done with my life. You're not too far. You're not too far to come. You're not too far. You let my life be a testimony to you. If God can save me, He can save anyone. And He has and He will. And so, whether you're standing or not, coming into the presence of God, the Bible says if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to lead you in a prayer where you can pray out loud. Okay? Now, you, got, you believers, open up your eyes. Go ahead and open your eyes. There's people standing in the back over there. If you're a believer, lay hands on them right here. There's a woman right here. There's a couple back here. This is the body of Christ, so you have freedom. Just get up. This is more like a Wednesday night, I know, but it's our church. Lay hands on them. Let them know you're with them. And... Let them know they're not alone. Don't miss anyone. There's someone back here. If you guys see by the camera back here. So just get up, you guys in that section, right over here, and just... Man, as believers, we believe in the priesthood of believers. You get to participate. This is your church family that maybe God will give you a word for them and encouragement for them and everyone else. If you want to look around, you can just lay your hands on them like we do on a baby dedication and you can just pray with them and pray that God will protect them and guard them in the warfare, that you will just rejoice that he's saving people. And if he's saving people now, he can still save your mom and your dad and your kids and your friends. And so those of you that responded, talk to God and say something like this. You ready? Dear God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe, Jesus, you live for me. You died for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead to save my soul. Help me, God, to turn from my sinful past and to live my life for you from this day forward. I love you, God, and I accept your love for me. And Father, as you're birthing new life here and as you're changing lives, I pray you pour out your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. You would be glorified and that these confessions were real and true and that what you do in the spiritual realm will be done in their lives and that God protect them and guard them from the warfare that they're about to experience. Protect the seed of the gospel inside of them. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary, Aurora.